Hey, hey, Sandra. Hi, Lisa. Kristen. Oh, hello, Lisa and Sandra. Are you guys ready? Oh, you know we are. So yes. Ready. Then let's do it. Let's go to the movies, ladies. Welcome to Lisa, Sandra, and Kristen go to the movies. A podcast where three movie geeks that are us. Are you calling us geeks? Yes, I am. (laughs) Geeks, nerd herd, whatever. Talk to award-winning directors, actors, screenwriters, costume designers, and more about their work. We also dish on their favorite movies, movie moments, and share our own favorites, too. I'm Lisa France, and I'm a senior writer for CNN Entertainment. I'm Sandra Gonzalez. I'm also a senior reporter for CNN covering TV and film. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, former host of the Movie Date podcast, currently a co-host on the podcast By the Book, and author of So You Want to Start a Podcast, available in August. This is the official podcast of CNN's new TV series, The Movies, which you can watch on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. I've seen the series, and i got to tell you, it is absolutely phenomenal. Must watch. Yes, absolutely, for any movie lover. So after you're done listening to our podcast, you should definitely go and check that out. A little bit later in this episode, we'll be talking to Alma Award-winning director Linda Mendoza. But before we get to that, Kristen, it's your turn to recast a movie. Bum, bum, so for anybody who's not familiar, here's how it goes. I'm going to give you a classic film, and you're going to have to recast it with actors from today. Kristen, today... My crystal ball tells me you will recast Drumroll Dirty Dancing Woo, for 2019. Yes. Tough one. Very tough. But let's hear it. Who would you recast in these lead roles? Well, you're right. It's tough because is there ever going to be a replacement for Patrick Swayze as Johnny Castle? Never, R. ever. P. Or is no. Cat Patrick Swayze in anything, ghost, anything, pick any of his roles. Oh, yeah. Roadhouse, nothing. You cannot nothing. replace him. Mm-mm. He is irreplaceable. Absolutely. So with that caveat... I think that what we need in Johnny Castle is somebody who is a trained dancer, because that's part of what made uh, Patrick Swayze so good in it. He could actually dance. It wasn't somebody faking it. So we need a trained dancer. We need somebody who looks good without his shirt on. All day. (laughs) All day. We need somebody who can give the naughty eye, the eyes that say, oh, I'm not just here to dance. You know, those eyes. The come hither. Yes. So I think Harry Shum would be really Great for this. Oh, from Glee. Yes, Harry Shum from Glee. He can also bring in a different kind of dance move that maybe we hadn't seen in the past from Patrick Swayze because he can mix hip-hop dancing, more classical dancing, tap dancing, and so on. He is so good-looking also. He's so fun. Love him at the very end of Crazy Rich Asians. If you haven't seen him there, definitely check that out. So, yeah, Johnny Castle. Harry Shum. He's got the arms for that baby lift, too. Oh, yes, he does. Yes. Yeah, he yes, can lift yes, two yes, women. Yes, yes yeah. absolutely. And for Baby, the role made famous by Jennifer Grey, mm-hmm. in the movie, they're very specific to not choose somebody who looks like a supermodel. And it's very important for the role that we're supposed to have somebody who has an older sister who's the beauty in the family. And right. she's supposed to be invisible to a lot of people. She was right. supposed to be awkward and idealistic and a little bit clumsy. And... For that, I'm going to cast Mae Whitman, who is, by the way, very pretty. And beautiful. Aww, She's beautiful. Yeah. Really She's is. darling and adorable. Yes, and I love her in The Duff, and I love her in Arrested Development. But she is so good at playing somebody who actually looks like just a regular gal and doing it with some self-effacement, with uh, physical comedy, and being so likable. And it's hard not to cheer for her. In anything she's in, I just want to cheer for her. I just think she's fantastic. Absolutely. That's a great pick. Yeah, she represents us because we're regular gals and we're gorgeous too. Yes, absolutely. And then, of course, we need to think about Penny, Johnny Castle's 
uh, original dance partner, the one who has a botched abortion, the one who needs to take some time off, the one that makes it possible for baby to become the dance partner in the first place. So I think Gugu and Botha Raw would be perfect for Ooh. this. Bold choice. I am a super fan of hers. And she is a trained dancer. And oh, I could just watch her do anything. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we have to think about baby's parents. We need a mom who can be flirty and playful and get out on the dance floor. We need a dad who has a gravitas and does not take crap and protects his daughter. And I think the best people, in my opinion, would be the real-life couple, Megan Mullally <gasps> from Will and & Grace and her real-life husband, Nick Offerman. Genius. Oh, my God. Genius. Yes. No one puts Kristen yes. in corner. No one puts Kristen <laughs> in the corner. You got the double gasp here from yes. your co-host. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine Megan Mullally and Nick Offerman? The only risk is they would steal the whole movie. I was they would. Say. Absolutely. I mean, their ad libs alone for the DVD and streaming extras <laughs> would be perfection. Oh, love it. So Absolutely into it. it. Uh, Kristen, you did such a good job. And look, doing this is not easy at all. Um, but I love how creative you got with some of your, your picks. And um, speaking of getting creative, I want to remind our listeners that we want them to get creative too. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. We want to hear from all of you listeners out there. And specifically, we want to hear your thoughts on a game that we've also played on this show. We call it My Five Movies. And in that game, you're on a desert island. You can only have five movies for the rest of your life. What are your five movies? Go on to Twitter, use the hashtag My5Movies, that's my, the number five, movies, and tell us what are your five movies you would watch if you could only choose five. And be sure to tag us at CNN Podcast because we want to see what movies you pick. And we promise not to judge them oh, too uh, hard. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm going to judge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, should we get to this interview now? So Let's ready. Let's do it. Linda Mendoza is an Alma Award-winning director with over 200 credits to her name. She's directed episodes of popular shows like 30 Rock, Scrubs, Ugly Betty, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Blackish, Gronish, so many of our favorites. She made her feature film directorial debut in 2003 with the film Chasing Poppy, starring Sofia Vergara, Eduardo Verastegui, Rosalind Sanchez, and Jackie Velasquez. Her upcoming TV series, Tiffany Haddish Presents, They Ready, is sure to be fire, like everything she touches. Linda Mendoza, welcome to the podcast. Oh, my gosh. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh. We're excited to have you. Thank you. Um, so I want to start off with some firsts. What was the first movie you remember seeing in a theater, Linda? Um, okay. The very first movie I remember seeing in a theater was Cinderfella. With Jerry Lewis. Wow. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. I think I was like nine or 10. And was that your choice? Did you ask to go see that movie? Yeah, because I freaking love (laughs) Jerry Lewis. (laughs) I mean, like, I love everything. The Geisha Boy, Who's Minding the Store, uh, Delicate Delinquent. Yeah, you name it. I've always kind of like loved him. Were your friends equally as obsessed with him or were you like the the outsider who was like, I like Jerry Lewis and then everybody judges you? Oh, I was so the outsider. (laughs) (laughs) You like to do what? Jerry Lewis? Like Nobody got that. Oh, my gosh. But it served me well in my life, I must say. Oh, how? It just in terms of loving comedy my whole life. You know, I was able to like make that 
like my career when it really wasn't a path for me originally. Mm-hmm. Was he your first movie crush? I mean, if you don't want to reveal your crush, like who's the first person you saw on screen who seemed like the coolest person you ever saw? Um, well, honestly, truth be told, Ted Neely from Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> Whoa. You are a woman of interesting taste, Linda. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. That was like, because I never was big into musicals like, you know, Oklahoma and, you know, Guys and Dolls. I never liked that 40s, 50s style musical. Um, And even into the 60s, it was never my thing. But I saw Annie and then I saw Jesus Christ Superstar and my life kind of changed. And Ted Neely was just like everything I thought I saw. <laughs> Good looking dude, long hair, you know, total hippie. Oh, he was dreamy. He was dreamy. Where did you grow up, Linda? Because your tastes, I, I can't peg them down. <laughs> like some of my, like if I were to say my first movie, like it's like Selena. It's like, of course, you're from Texas, right? But like, I can't exactly peg down where you're from, Linda. <laughs> I know. I'm actually, nobody can ever peg down where I'm from or what I am. <laughs> That's a good thing. No, it's true. I'm basically a Mexican from Detroit who pretty much everybody thought was Chinese growing up. Ah, Midwest pride. Yes. Midwest, yeah, Detroiter. (laughs) Nice. Totally. Well, just to shift gears a little bit, talking about uh, all of these first movie experiences, we'd love to know the first movie that really scared you. Oh, my gosh. That goes without saying, The Exorcist. Oh, that's so scary. It really is a terrifying movie. That and... And honestly, you know what frightened the heck out of me was Clockwork Orange. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. please tell me you watched that when you were dark. an appropriate age. Though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I was probably still too young at 15 or 16 when I saw it. Uh, but it disturbed me. That, and I remember Blue Velvet. I watched Blue Velvet, and I was already in my 30s when I saw Blue Velvet, and I didn't sleep for three nights. Like, movies affect me. Yeah, that's a disturbing one. Yeah. Yeah, I still can't sleep from that one. (laughs) I saw The Exorcist when I was way too young, and it scared the pants off. I was, like, 10 years old. Like, I shouldn't have been watching that, but my parents were, like, weird hippies that just let us watch whatever we wanted. Linda, were your parents sort of, like, did they watch what you watched and, like, monitor sort of, like, "Mm, she's going to The Exorcist tonight, or did you kind of have to watch that one rogue? Yeah, you know, actually, I remember seeing that at the movie theater and my mom did not go. And I don't think she knew I went, to be perfectly honest about that. But my mom was a movie buff. And um, so she really is the reason why I just fell in love with old movies. And and at a very young age, you know, I would uh, watch Rita Bell Prize movie with her and we'd stay up late watching cool old movies and... um, yeah, Bill Kennedy at the movies, like she was a big influence, um, but she was a very forward thinker. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got to see a lot of really cool movies, I think, that maybe some parents wouldn't have taken their children to, like Tommy. Oh, uh, Tommy. Parents, parents. The have rock such opera. A, yes, of course. Parents have such a wonderful influence on kids. Like when they go to see movies, like they really kind of do set the tone for like what kind of movie fan you're going to be. Absolutely. That's great bonding experience. Do you yeah. all remember a mov- seeing a movie with like any of your parents that just like really stuck with you? Oh, my gosh. You know, I still think about E.T. And um, as a child, I was so young. I just thought this is so cute. There's an alien. And my mom sobbed through the whole thing. And I didn't understand why as a little mm-hmm. kid. And then as an adult, I watched it again and I sobbed through the whole thing. And I thought, oh. 
I get it now. I get it now. I get it. The idea of being the only creature of your kind in a whole universe and you can't get back to them. And then the empathy my mom must have felt as a newly divorced woman for the family in the movie. I mean, so many of the things in the movie are very adult themes. And it's easy for a kid just to look at it and think, look at how cute this alien is, or look at how cute Drew Marymore is, or how fun is it to ride a bike into the sky. But um, yeah, I really think that depending on who you watch a movie with, the movie can be vastly different and touch you in a different way. So um, I think it's fun when the partner that you're watching the movie with is a parent and they help impart certain kinds of love and magic and knowledge along with the experience. Yeah. Speaking of families and legacies, a number of the TV series that you've worked on, like Blackish and Scrubs and Ugly Betty, they have casts that look like America. And so when was the first time that you can remember watching a movie and feeling like you were seeing someone on screen who looked like you or reminded you of yourself, especially given your interesting heritage that you just told us about? Gosh, you know, that's such a great question. And I will say that Growing up in Detroit, my parents um, made sure that we had a connection to, um, you know, to our our heritage and and all that. And I will tell you that it was important for them to take us to the movies on the west side in the Mexican village. Mm -hmm. And we would go see Contingfloss movies, you know. So we so I went to movies that were in Spanish that featured Spanish stars when I was young. Um, so I had that, and I remember Efren Zimbalist Jr., <laughs> like for some reason being, I don't even think he was Latin now that I think about it, but, you know, he was just different looking. Do you know what I mean? Yes. yes. And I totally remember that. And I remember Julia on oh, the TV show. Yes. She was African-American. Mm-hmm. Diane Carroll, I think, played her. Yes, yeah. that's right. If I'm not mistaken. And I just remember, like, it wasn't me, but it was still somebody of color. And I remember that having an impact on me when I was young watching her and Lloyd Nolan on this show. You know what I mean? Oh, and Freddie Prinze. Oh, Freddie Prinze. Freddie oh. Prinze. Rest in peace, Freddie Prinze. Oh, my Prince. God. Yeah. I mean, my God. Uh, Chico yes, and the Man. of course. Chico and the Man was a huge... And that was such a great show, too. I mean, really funny and well-written and sociologically, it was totally forward-thinking and it was just very... That, I totally remember, had a big impact on me. We talk a lot now about movies and the need for diversity. Do you think we're ever going to get there? I feel like, especially for me as an African-American woman, I feel like every few years we hear it's time. This is time, the time for black Hollywood. We're bursting through. Some movie comes out and everybody's like, this is it. And then Mm -hmm. not. So do you think Hollywood's ever going to get there where people feel like there's enough diversity on the big screen? You know, I wish that I could say that we were. I think that everybody is very conscious of trying. I still think that um, there's always going to be checks and balances. Because I'm even noticing that, you guys, as a working freelance director. You know, it doesn't matter that now I have, you know, pretty close to 20 years of directing experience. I filled a couple of slots, you know, Latin female. And now those slots need to be filled by other new people coming in. So it's kind of ironic in a weird way. For me, I feel like my experience is not really paying off in kind of the same way. And I don't mean that badly. That just is the way that it is, you know? Yeah. 
Does that make sense, you guys? It does. And it's a very complicated business for all the reasons that you're saying. Um, But we're going to take a quick break and continue our conversation with Linda right after this. back. We're still here with director Linda Mendoza. Linda, I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you, you're such an accomplished director with literally hundreds of credits. Um, Was there a specific movie that made you realize you wanted to enter this very crazy, complicated business? Well, you know, ironically, I I did kind of fall into the business because Mm. I was going to school to be a sociologist. Mm. And music has always been Music and dance have always been kind of my first loves, even though it's ironic that I didn't love musicals. Um, but um, I would say that I can't I can't pinpoint one movie other than One from the Heart by Francis Ford Coppola mm-hmm. that I just thought, wow, that is completely different and unique. And I could dig doing something like that. How old were you because when you it saw was that? Music and dance. Oh gosh, I was probably like twenty. Now, for those you who know? aren't familiar with the movie, can you tell us a little bit about it and why it really touched you? Yeah, one from the heart was a passion project for Francis Ford Coppola, and when he bought the old Hollywood Center Studios on Las Palmas in Santa Monica back in the day. He called it Zotrope Studios, and he did it as an homage to old-fashioned movie making. And so everything was shot on a stage, the whole downtown Vegas, everything. And it was very kind of avant-garde, like it was very like you knew it was on a stage, like he embraced that. And it was very musical and lyrical, and I just thought it was fascinating. I mean, really, truly, just a fascinating piece of work. And he's actually one of my very favorite directors of all time. I mean, Tucker is one of, it's such a cool movie, the way he designed it and the transitions and everything. I just love the way he makes movies old style like that. Other than Francis Ford Coppola, are there other directors who've inspired you in your work, Um, even some directors that maybe you've worked with yourself? Um, Well, I will tell you, my mentor, Bruce Gowers, has inspired me tremendously. He's the guy who uh, is like the godfather of music video. He directed the very famous Bohemian Rhapsody video, Mm. you know, the splits and all of that. Mm -hmm. Iconic. uh, Iconic. And he's done a ton of big time music videos for The Stones and... John Cougar and Stewart, Rod Stewart, you name it. And um, so I became his assistant PA and AD for 13 years. And what I learned from him, nobody would ever learn in 10 years of school. Um, It was beyond amazing and incredible blessing in my life. And he was a guy who was English, who was a very forward thinker in terms of diversity before anybody else. Like he fought for me to be on his crew and he fought for this African-American operator to be on every show he did. He was very cool about that. I find it fascinating how people can draw inspiration. Like you you obviously kind of 
have most of your credits coming from television, but you also work in movies, but you have this inspiration coming from like a primarily music video director that just goes to show you that art is just so intertwined in that way. It really is. And and that's why I think I loved One from the Heart so much because of the production design. Like one of my very favorite old movies is Champagne for Caesar. And the art direction on that film is phenomenal. And it's all shot on a stage, everything. And it is fascinating and just so creative. Like there's a wall of hands coming out because the guy's going to work for a soap company. So there's all these cool hands coming out of this column in the middle of the room. It's very, very cool. Oh, I'm so glad you brought up set design and the look of movies because you, Linda, are known for having just fabulous sets on a lot of the shows that you work on, whether it's Kimmy Schmidt or The Good Place or Ugly Betty. All, all of these projects you've worked on are known for what they look like. And we would just love to know more about different movie sets that you like and what goes into those sets. Well, you know, that's um, like, I just, I love production design because it, it really just sets the tone and feel for every single character. And so the detail that they put into that, like in terms of Kimmy Schmidt, like that's really all Tina Fey um, working with the, production designer like they were very she and Robert Carlock were so particular about the for instance the basement apartment that Kimmy comes to live in like they wanted that low ceiling which if you're shooting is a pain in the butt because there's no place to hang lights so everything's got to be lit from the floor but the authenticity of that for them in that room was so important and what was cool was being able to embrace that and shoot kind of the wider shots and see the ceiling and see how crunched they are in there. And, you know, I love when you can shoot in a, in a scene, in a stage, in a set and really get into the nooks and crannies. That's why I like single camera. I like really getting up in the set. Mm. Uh, multi-camera, you know, everything's proscenium. It's like a stage play and long lenses and a little bit flat. Um, although that has its his perks as well. We're going to give you a chance to get up on a set of a classic movie and ask you a little historical question, especially since you're such a huge fan of classic movies. I love all these movies that you've been naming and talking about. So let's say you were making The Graduate today in 2019. Mm -hmm. Which actors would you cast to play Benjamin Braddock and Mrs. Robinson, of course, played tremendously and famously well by Dustin Hoffman and Anne Bancroft? Who would you have in those roles today? Um... We're going to play casting couch. I like this. Yes. Okay. That is that is a tough one because there's so many great guys out there. I love Oscar Isaac. <gasps> oh, dreamy. Oh. <laughs> I think he collective gas. Yes. Right. He might be a little old though. It's hard to say now. You movie know makeup. I mean? Movie makeup. I think he's well into his thirties yeah, now. Yeah. We saw like fourteen-year-old Robert Downey Jr. in one of those Iron Man movies or Captain America or something. They can do it. They, they can, can do make it. it happen. They can do it. It's called method. It's called method, it. Linda. <laughs> it's called pull that tape back on their cheeks. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it. Hide it under a hat. <laughs> and then, in terms of the Anne Bancroft character, I mean, I'm trying to think. Like honestly, I think Julianne. Juliana Marculis, who's probably now, she's probably too young for the role, would be amazing. Mm. Like, she just has such a hard, cool look to her, I think. Yes, I think she could totally you know. pull that off because she makes you feel like, you know, she's like 
one second away from boiling. <laughs> yeah, she's times. so sophisticated yeah. looking, too. You know, she's just got that steely look. I'm enjoying this game. Yeah. yeah. And I, I also, by the way, want to say it's totally fine if they're close in age. Let's remember Dustin Hoffman was only about eight years, not even eight years younger than Anne Bancroft in The Graduate. Was it five years? Yeah. They were very close in age. Yeah, that's so. true. Yeah. That's Hollywood for you. Yeah. yeah. That's right. God forbid a woman's over 30. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> well, what about Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? I mean, casting those roles in 2019. Who do you think is mm. the Liz Taylor and Richard Burton of today? Um, well, honestly, it would have been Angelina Jolie and uh, Brad Pitt had they still been together. Wasn't that heartbreaking? That would have been a kind of interesting. You, you know, know, it's really hard because back in, you know, those classic Hollywood movies, those couples, even if they weren't couples in real life, they had such mystique and mystery. And now because of social media and tabloids, I feel like, you know, everybody's business. So it's really hard to find like a couple where you feel like they embody that that thing. I will say this. I would watch Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams all the time in all the movies always together. Absolutely. Because they True. just ooze. They ooze that like Richard, like uh, people are going to slam me for this, but they ooze that like Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor, like just like pure chemistry. I rewatched their uh, MTV Movie Awards Kiss <laughs> yeah. the other night and I was like watching it, I watched it like a couple times, but I'm like, that movie ah! was so good because of just that chemistry they had. That's what, that's the word I was looking for. It's something about the old Hollywood chemistry. Yeah. But totally. can I just say, as far as Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams go, what if they played the younger couple in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and the older couple was actually played by Denzel? And Elfrey Woodard. Look at you mixing it up. I like <gasps> Brilliant. It. I love it. Because <laughs> when we think of great Shakespearean actors, Denzel and Elfrey, oh my God. Why not? Yeah. That Why would not? be unbelievable. Yeah, it would. And we want Linda, we want you to direct it. Yeah. Okay, right on. I will take that. <laughs> In a heartbeat. Do you have people coming to you with projects or do you still have to go out there and really pound the pavement? Like, obviously, we've only had five female directors nominated for an Academy Award ever. Um, but you also hear them, uh, the, especially the popular ones, saying, you know, oh, I have plenty of offers. I have plenty of this. But I wonder about the people that, you know, haven't gotten the awards, haven't been nominated for, like, you know, movie directing. But, like, do you get a lot of great pitches, Linda? Or do you have to go out there and still really, you know, dig up the dirt and find the the gems? You know, honestly, um, I'm actually glad you brought that up because here's the thing that I realized, you know, and believe me, I am so grateful every day for my job and my career. And I really have such joy when I go to work. And um, for the most part, on every show that I've done, I've really had a great, great time and enjoyed myself and learned something and felt like I brought something to the party. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say that as I've gotten older, and as I had mentioned before about, you know, the, the jobs now, the, the holes that I filled, there's 10 other people that need to fill those holes. So my work has become a, a little bit different. And it's forced me into trying to find, not forced me, it's actually was like almost like an opportunity to try to find, okay, what would be my next step? So I've actually mm -hmm. been developing a lot of stuff just on my own because I feel like, I can't wait for somebody to give that to me. And so I identified some music that I want to produce and make a musical around. And I found a writer that I really loved. And so we've been working on a project together. And so I'm really trying to just make my own stuff happen at this point in my life. 
Taking it, the bull by the horns. I like it. Yeah. And it seems yeah. that for a lot of women, since so much of Hollywood's still an old boys club, sometimes it's really build your own niche if there's not one for you. If they won't let you sit at the table, build a bigger table, right? That's right. Build your own table. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Trying to get that side table on. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Linda. Well, we've talked about a lot of movies during our time with you. And for our series, we're asking each of our guests a question we're calling My Five Movies. So here's the question. If you could watch only five movies for the rest of your life, which five movies would you choose? Oh, my gosh. That is so tough. Okay. So, Houseboat, for sure. Mm. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, mm-hmm. so good. Um, Pillow Talk probably is my favorite Doris Day. Oh, R.I.P. Or R.I.P. The, Daisies. R.I.P. Um, the Bishop's Wife. And a really cool old Barbara Stanwyck, No Man of Her Own. Ooh, you have sublime taste. And so, like, this is what you would, this is the list you'd get from, like, a film school. Like, these are the movies you must watch. I love this. I feel like we need a movie yeah. night with you, Linda. We need popcorn. Oh, we need wine, margaritas. <laughs> we absolutely need to make that happen. And we're going to just let you pick all the movies and we're just going to show up, maybe with the snacks, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe you can provide okay. the snacks, too. <laughs> we're, we're leaning I, heavily I on do, you. I can do it all. Yeah, you can do it all. I can do it all. <laughs> can we start with Pillow Talk? Let's, that's when we have yeah. our slumber party. The reason why I want us to start with that is because she is an interior designer in that movie. And I feel that, Linda, you would point out all sorts of beautiful things about that set that we just have no idea about. I love how you. Oh I, my God. I love how I suggested a movie night and you took it to a sleepover. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know. Way to build. It there. <laughs> Way to build. I'm taking it there. Linda, get ready. We're bringing well, our pillows. Okay, right on. Well, if we're drinking wine or margaritas, it may be we may need to do that. No, I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding at all. She's, she's quite serious, Linda. Um, Linda Mendoza, oh, thank cool. you so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Oh, ladies, thanks so much for having me, and best of luck with everything. You're all so delightful and wonderful, and I wish you the best. Oh, oh thank wish you. you the best. See you at the sleepover. Yes. Yay. Yay. Okay, cool. We're going to take a quick break, but don't worry, there's more from us coming right up. I was watching an episode of CNN's new series, The Movies, and there was a mention of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that score, you know the one, it really took me back in a good way. Ennio Morricone composed what would become one of the most iconic film scores of all time for that film. That slow whistle and the dramatic shrieks have become a hallmark of an entire genre. A good score truly becomes like a good piece of dialogue, just part of our world's language in the same way that Bond, James Bond, or here's looking at you, kid, has. I can't remember a time when I didn't associate this score with Western films. But I do know that my dad was probably the one who first exposed me to the work of Ennio Morricone. 
He loved Western films, and he loved movie scores. I remember when Spotify first became a thing, I tried to explain to my dad that there was a way for me to curate all of his favorites so that he could listen to them. By that time, though, his eyesight was going and he was too old to be bothered with new technology. And I couldn't blame him. But it did make me laugh that instead he preferred to wait for the films to play on TCM or another classic movie channel and just wait for his favorite parts to come up like Thomas Newman's score from Road to Perdition or Morricone's score from Once Upon a Time in the West. When my own tastes developed, I'd share with him some of my faves, like Hans Zimmer's Time from Inception or Danny Elfman's Edward Scissorhands score. He was never really on board with my love for James Horner's Titanic theme, but you can't win them all over. What can't be understated is the value of the work of Morricone and other great composers. I was at the Hollywood Bowl a few months back, and Steven Spielberg was a special guest at a concert honoring John Williams. He came with two pieces of video to share. One was the iconic train scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark without Williams' score, and one with. It was stunning to watch these two pieces of footage side by side. The scene was fine without it, but its heart, its excitement, its pulse came from the music. Morricone's work, like the work of all great composers, is like a time machine. It transports you to a specific moment in time, whether it's an exciting or sad movie scene, or in my case, the memory of a late loved one who gave you your love for great movie scores. The Western genre owes Morricone a debt of gratitude. And so do I. And that's a wrap, as they say. If you're like us and can't get enough movies in your life, check out CNN's new TV series, The Movies, airing Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific on CNN and on CNN.com go. From executive producers Tom Hanks, Gary Getzman, and Mark Herzog, The Movies is a fascinating exploration of movies throughout the decades, and it shows the cultural, societal, and political shifts that framed the evolution of American cinema. You can also visit CNN.com slash The Movies for more. If you liked this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. And subscribe. And of course, leave us a five-star rating and a comment while you're there. This episode was produced by Amy Eason, Elizabeth Roberts, and Emma Soslowski. This is Lisa, Sandra, and Kristen. Go to the movies. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>